0: Uh, Logan and Job and I were in a a 3v3 basketball tournament, and I took a really hard elbow to the eye. And um, you should have seen it last week. It was pretty rough. We are in Colossians, so let's turn there. And we're in chapter 1. We're starting in verse 19, for in him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is going forth, that it is being proclaimed under heaven Let us be partakers in that. Let us be the goers and the senders. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to have us be faithful to you and to your word. Lord, we pray for healing for those um, ailing in our midst. We pray for our brother Dave Wilson, who just had surgery, that everything would go well um, with his recovery and there'd be no issues or complications. Lord, we pray, God, that any uh, spiritual healing that needs to take place uh, in our hearts, that you would do that you are gracious uh, to heal not just our physical infirmities um, but also our spiritual emotional mental lord so we ask that you would do that be gracious we know that you are the great physician and so we ask for your healing we thank you by your blood the blood of your son that we have the restoration of us with you that we've been reconciled lord and as we look at that um concept today lord help us to truly understand the fullness of what you've done for us the true fullness of what you've done for us through your son jesus thank you for your goodness to us thank you that you are always shining brightly lord even when it seems like there's darkness you are still shining brightly and the darkness does not overcome you and it is in you that we have the victory may we continue on in that in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to be looking at the word reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled to God? What, what is reconciliation? Let's just start with a brief definition. It is the removal of enmity. That means we were at enmity with God. We were en- his enemies. So it's the removal of that enmity and the restoration of fellowship. Um, normally between two parties. In this case, God and us. So we were enemies of God. Look what it says in verse 21. And you, so he's talking to the Colossians here, and by way of extension, us, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So we were enemies of God. A couple things here, one, we forget this, think of America and England. Things are pretty fine between us, right? Is there any talk of us going to war? No, very unlikely. Do most of us think about the war that went on between our two nations? I mean, maybe once a year on the 4th of July, right? (laughs) With all those memes that we put out, kind of poking fun at them. But normally we think more of our present status and not so much the past. So we kind of forget our past, and I think sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God as well, we can forget what we once were. It's important to remember that. Two, we make light of it. I think with God we can end up um, taking for granted what he's done for us, Think about this for a moment when we think of reconciliation. When it comes to two different countries or two different factions or two different parties, most of the time when there's warring going on, each party thinks that they're right to some extent. America thought it was right. England thought it was right. But when it comes to reconciliation with God and when it comes to our relationship with him, even though we were at war, there was only one party that was wrong. And that was us, right? So it's a little bit different. Normally when there's there's parties, usually there's fault on both sides. It could be 90%, 10%. It could be. But usually there's, there's some fault on both sides, even on, on the party that might not be um, as much to blame. But with God, there's no question. We were wrong completely, entirely, totally, 100%. Here's what reconciliation requires. It requires the guilty party to admit it, Confess it and repent of it. We want to be reconciled to God. Well, <clears throat> what's the problem? Well, one, look back in verse 21. We were alienated. What does that mean? We were estranged from God. The very Creator, the one who created us in His image, we're estranged from Him. Why? Because of something that He did? No. Something we did. Our sin. It alienates us from God. And look at the descriptions that we get of this alienation. We were hostile in mind. So our very thoughts were against him. And then we were doing evil deeds. So not just our thoughts, but also our actions were against him. They were dishonoring him. This is us without Christ. And I think sometimes when... uh, were saved at a younger age? Yeah, who got saved under the age of, um, let's say, 18? Okay, a good number of hands. I think sometimes, how about uh, under the age of 15? Okay, I think sometimes when we're saved at a younger age, we're like, was that really me? Was I really hostile in mind? Was I really doing evil deeds? Was I really alienated? yes absolutely you came out of your mother's womb cursed cursed with sin and it was like it was like you had a little dagger, dagger in your hand and if you could have struck at God you would have okay you were at enmity from the moment of conception and you did not like the one who created you you didn't now you might not be like well can I really think of that time you might not be able to But the word says we were at enmity from birth. So don't pat yourself on the back like, oh, I'm so glad I believed, you know. Or I'm so glad I realized the truth, unlike other people. Now, when we talk about reconciliation, this is an act of God that he does through his son. It is his act. So don't forget where you came from. You, yes, you, and me, We were the ones who were alienated from God. We were separated. We're like Israel. We're in exile. How long was Israel in exile? A long time. Yeah, you're like, which exile? Fair question. So we're separated. We're like Israel, and we're, we're enemies of God. But what does God do? Look at Romans 5. Keep your place in Colossians. shall we begin let's start let's start in verse 8 but God Romans 5 8 but God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God for if while we were enemies okay so that you see that enemies If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So what are we seeing here? One, I want to make it clear that we were the enemies. We weren't just like a disinterested party. We weren't just like, oh, acquaintances. No, we were enemies. Enemies of God. And look what it says. Verse 8. While we were still sinners... So it's not like we cleaned up our act and God's like, okay, they got to a point and I can finally send my son to die for him. No. Verse eight, God shows his love for us. So while we're still sinners, while we're still enemies, while we're still against him, while we're still spitting in his face, what does he do? He sends his son for us. Then it goes on. For if while we're enemies, verse 10, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How are we reconciled? By the death of his son by the death of his son so what does jesus do here he's not saying like stop doing that and i'll come help no it's while we were still doing that while we were at war with him while we were cursing him and there is four needs that sinners have four needs we deserve to die as the penalty for sin amen amen we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. Amen? We are separated from God by our sins. Amen? And we are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. Amen? That's, that's the unbeliever. That Those four things have to be answered. They have to be answered in order for us to be able to be forgiven of our sins and made right with God. So these are the four needs, but Christ's death meets them, each one of them. So we deserve to die as the penalty for sin. What do we need Jesus to be? The sacrifice, right? We deserve to die, but Jesus is the sacrifice. He pays the penalty of death that we deserve because of our sins. Christ died as the sacrifice for us. Hebrews 9 he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Back to point number two. We deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. So what is Jesus for us? He's the propitiation. What does that do? Remove To remove us from the wrath of God that we deserve. Christ died as the propitiation for our sins. He bore the wrath of God. Totally not popular to talk about in today's church, sadly. But Jesus was the propitiation. What does 1 John say? And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be their propitiation for our sins. So we deserve to bear God's wrath. What does Jesus do? He bears God's wrath. He is the propitiation. We're in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. What does Jesus do? He redeems us, right? He's the Redeemer. So because we as sinners are in bondage to sin and to Satan, we need someone to provide redemption and therefore to redeem us out of that bondage. So when we speak of redemption, the idea of ransom comes into view. What What does it say in Mark 10? For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve... And to give his life as what? A ransom for many. So he redeems us. That answers the third one. The fourth one. We are separated from God by our sins. You know, the, you know, the, the illustration that Campus Crusade and other ministries use, you know, there's, this, there's this large you know, gulf between us, this large chasm, right? And we're on one side and, and, and God's on the other and, and we can't cross it. But what does Christ do? He's like the bridge, right? But there's this separation And the sin is what separates us. What does Christ do? He comes, and he reconciles. He reconciles us to God. So to overcome our separation from God, we needed someone to provide that reconciliation, someone to bring us back into fellowship with God. So 2 Corinthians, look at 2 Corinthians, and we'll see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Who is it all from? God. Who is it all from? God. Okay. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we receive the reconciliation, and then what do we become? We become the messengers of that reconciliation to others. Listen, we can't read any of these verses without realizing that Jesus is the key. There's no other key that opens that door. Jesus is the key. You must have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, no Jesus, no reconciliation. If we don't have Jesus, we cannot be reconciled to the Father. No one else, no one else, no one else provides reconciliation. No other religious figure. Nothing else provides reconciliation. You know, act like good works? No. That doesn't provide reconciliation. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus that we can have reconciliation with the Father. In Jesus' was sent by the father to redeem a people for his own to be the propitiation for our sins to sacrifice his life to bear the wrath of god so that we could be made whole back with the father there could be a true reconciliation how does it happen back in colossians verse 22 he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death again Not anything else, not anyone else. Brothers and sisters, we have a sweet Savior. And when we talk about the fullness of our salvation, I mean, this is is what I'm talking about. That he is our Savior, that he is our sacrifice, that he is our Redeemer, that he is our Reconciler. We have a sweet Savior who has reconciled us to the Father. Listen, let's, let's know him. Let's seek him. Let's love him. And some of you might be like, well, how can this be? Well, it, we get, we get uh, a, the answer in verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And one pastor made some good observations about this fullness. Paul tells us that God the Father found pleasure in having all his fullness dwell in him. That is, in Christ. And so, Paul's use of the word fullness here, it really is an intentional slap at the Gnostics, which is what, in part, Paul's dealing with in the book of Colossians. It's a slap because he uses the same word, the play, play Roma, the fullness, to, to denote the totality of all the thousands of divine emanations or lesser gods that the Gnostics also used for that same word. And what he's saying is uh, no, no, Jesus is not one of those lesser gods of the fullness. No, he is the fullness. He's not some aspect of the fullness or a part of the fullness. No, he is the fullness. Colossians 2 says it even more explicitly. Look at Colossians 2, one chapter over, verse 9. Look what he says. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Like period, full stop, end of story. So fullness means the totality of divine power and attributes that's what we find in christ the whole fullness if you will the full fullness and moreover the fullness is said to live in him so it's not like it's temporary it it was and it is and it is there to stay so christ comes and so we are alienated and we're hostile in mind and we're doing evil deeds but look what happens once he comes and reconciles us to the father What does he do? Verse 22, towards the end, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, who does this? Jesus, right? So we were alienated, and now what are we? We're reconciled. We were hostile in mind, and what happens to us? Changed hearts. We were doing evil deeds, and now what are we doing? righteous acts so let's just be real like there's a difference between what we were and what we now are right not just internally definitely there but also externally we're not we're not hostile in mind we're not thinking evil thoughts we're not doing evil things you can't be two opposite things at the same time right right and here's the thing the devil comes and he's always trying to mess mess this up He's always trying, I mean, that's part of what he's, he's attacking here, and he's making the point back in verse 16, like Jesus is above it all, including all the spiritual realm, and the devil and, and his uh, evil minions. So the devil's always trying to mess this up, and he always wants to lower Christ. He always wants to insult Christ. He always wants to make us question Christ. He always wants to make us doubt Christ. <clears throat> and it's the devil's goal to destroy the works of God. I mean, think of creation. perfect, amazing creation. And what does Satan want to do? Wants to destroy it. He wants to mess it up. Right? So, so what does he do? Gets Adam and Eve to eat from the fruit. Creation gets marred. What about marriage? We have God's original design: One man and one woman. Is it one man and one man? One woman and one woman? No. Two men and one woman? No. One woman? No. It takes two opposites. What has Satan done? He's marred it. He's marred it with gay marriage. He has marred it. Think even now. I mean, he's going to take whatever is good and pure and wholesome, and mar it and try to destroy it. So he's attacked all sorts of different things. He's attacked the family. He's attacked society. He's attacked the church. But he takes something as pure and beautiful as the image of God. Each one of us, believer or unbeliever, created in the image of God. And what is Satan out there? Lying to people. What are they doing with the image? They're literally destroying the image. You could talk about that with abortion. Destroying the image. But what are they doing now? We're mutilating young girls and boys. Cutting off body parts. That is satanic. That is satanic. And that's what we're doing, why? We're marring, that's what Satan wants. He wants the image marred. And we have people willing to do it. Doctors and surgeons, willing to do it. And too often in the reformed world, we we blame the flesh a whole lot and we leave out the devil. So, yes, the flesh, but yes, the devil. In Ephesians, and he's using the word flesh in a different sense, but in Ephesians he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning our, our enemies aren't our neighbors who aren't believers. They're not the real enemy. That's the flesh and blood. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's That's the enemy. Now, they might be, I mean, they're in bondage to Satan if they're unbelievers, so we shouldn't be surprised when they're doing his will, right? I mean, they're just doing what they've been bent to do, and they're in bondage. They need to be freed, just like we were freed, but that in some sense, that really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, it can, it can, it can shock us, the depths of which depravity of man can go. It should shock us and horrify us, but, but Satan is willing to take any unbeliever to, over the cliff all the way, and we're seeing it. Don't forget what Christ did for us. We, I want to take, if we take verses uh, 15 through 20, they really support an argument that, that Paul is trying to build upon and, and emphasize to us. There's some key affirmations here. And it reminds us over and over what Christ has done for us. One theologian, he makes some good applications. Now think about this. If Christ is the image of God, and here, this is kind of my applications for us, I guess I should say. If Christ is the image of God, from verse 15, right? He is the image of the invisible God. If he is the image of God, and all the fullness of God dwells in him, and it does dwell in him, right? here's the thing, then you will not find fullness in anything or anyone else. And most of us, probably all of us, could raise our hands and and say that, yes, we have tried to find fullness in other things. And it's not satisfied. It's not satisfied. It, It could potentially satisfy for a brief moment, but it's not truly satisfying. So, we need to find we need to find the fullness that we're looking for in christ and in christ alone he is the one that can truly satisfy anything else you drink from is a broken and leaking cistern it's not going to satisfy two if all the things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities if they were created by him and they are amen then, then he brings to naught all supposed threats posed by these powers, right? I mean, do they, do they really threaten his kingdom? No, so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. It's like, you know, when you're on the, on the playground as a kid, like, my dad can beat up your dad, right? Well, guess what? Our dad can beat up anybody he wants to and take care of any problem that we have. Alright? Our, our dad is like the king of the playground. Yeah. And, and bullies are going to be running. So we've got nothing to fear. Three, God's plan from before creation was to reconcile all things through Christ. Amen? Yeah. And listen, that design has not been revised. Okay? Salvation 1.0 will always be Salvation 1.0. There's no 2.0. We don't need a new version. Okay? What Christ did was sufficient, and it was enough. So we don't need a supplemental salvation plan, right? We can't attain peace and reconciliation through heavenly visions or rigorous asceticism, some of which we'll look at in Colossians 2. Peace is only found through Jesus. So we can try to jump through whatever hoop we want. We're not going to find peace without Jesus. It's salvation 1.0 or bust. Okay. Attention to these things even can actually end up uh, getting us off track, potentially disqualifying us. Four, Christ is supreme over all. And that supremacy manifests itself uh, clearly in the church. Christ is the head of the body of the church, verse 18. Yes? yes. Those, lo- those who lose connection with the head and it says later in colossians from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow verse 19 of chapter 2 so those who lose connection with the head what happens we wither and die okay we can cut you know you can you can lose a finger it it wouldn't be pretty and it'd be traumatic you can lose a finger you can lose a hand you can lose an arm or a leg can you lose the head and survive no you can't lose the head and survive. Five, listen to this. The supremacy of Christ over the whole cosmos, it assures believers of the sufficiency of Christ. Therefore, we should not allow our hope in Christ. He's the firstborn of the dead. We shouldn't allow it to be shaken when it's challenged or denigrated by others. He's supreme. So if he's supreme and rules over all, then he is enough. Get it? It's like an argument from the greater to the lesser. He is sufficient for us, and we don't need Jesus plus anything else. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. Do you get that? He is sufficient. Six. if Christ sustains the entire universe, and he does, listen to this, if he sustains the entire universe, which is why we read that earlier, right? He's uh, the firstborn of all, all creation, verse 15. 16, by him all things were created, and all things were created through him and for him. And 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he sustains the entire universe. If he does that, then guess what, brothers and sisters? He can sustain you. He can sustain you. Whatever's going on, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, He is the sustainer. 1 Corinthians 1. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Right? Christ knows those who are His. And He is a very faithful Savior, a very faithful Redeemer, a very faithful God. And He sees us to the end. We you can get to the point that Paul was at. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Some of us are more towards the end than, than the beginning. Some of us are just at that starting line. But we're all running if we're believers. Right? But who sustains us? Who strengthens us? Who empowers us to run that race? None other than Jesus himself. He sustains so we look to him, we depend on him, we lean on him, and we go to him. Whatever it might be, for every need we have, he is a faithful Savior. He is a faithful Redeemer. He is a faithful Reconciler. And what does he do? Every single time. What is he doing for us? Even right now, he's interceding before, for us before the Father. Right? Satan's up there, he's trying to accuse us. He's trying to, to slander us. He's trying to speak ill of us. And what's Jesus doing? saying that's not true that's not true they are holy they're blameless they've been reconciled to the father so satan shut up so he's interceding before us before the father he intercedes and what does he do he takes the wrath of god he is the propitiation for our sins and what else does he do he is the ransom god ransomed you through jesus got you back to him reconciled into the kingdom of god adopted into his family we're not just uh slaves or servants though the scriptures use that terminology you should primarily clearly entirely totally at the very top see yourself as a child of god that's how you should see yourself you are a blood-bought child of God himself. What a privilege, right? I mean, we, we, what a privilege to, to be a part of God, not just to be a part of his kingdom. You know, you like watch these fairy tales and stuff, and it seems like you know there's this good king, and, and everyone who lives under the good king, I mean, the whole realm is just amazing and, and great. And hey, I'd take that if that's what God was offering me, being a part of a, a kingdom with an amazing king and he does offer that, but he offers so much more. I mean, because how many of those in that, and some of the greatest kingdoms in those fairy tales, how many of them get to live in the king's palace? They might get to go to the king's palace, you know, Cinderella, and there's some ball or whatever, right? But How many get to live in the king's palace? Yeah, I mean, maybe even the servants and the slaves, they get to, to live there, but, but how many get to be in the, with the king in his quarters? How many get to be a part of the family? Well, and those, and those stories are just a handful. You know, the king has his son and, and maybe his daughter and his wife. But, but we, we're adopted not just into that kingdom, but we're adopted into the family of God. We're living in the palace with the king. We've got family quarters. And what do we do sometimes, brothers and sisters? Sometimes we, we act like we're not even a part of that kingdom. All right? Sometimes we, we, we act like we're just living in the, you know, in the forests, you know, with a little tent. Right? Yeah. Or maybe we're in the village or something. That's not what God has for us. That's not what God's given us. It really isn't. No, we're, we're in the palace as his children. Uh, you know, Queen Esther <clears throat> wants to go um, before her own husband, right, and make a request. And she can't do that without fear of her life. Right? And she's like, man, I'm risking everything here, and if he doesn't hold out that scepter, I'm toast. That's like the complete opposite of how God is with us. We want, we want to go into the royal throne room, like that door is open. We can go anytime. And we can, we can just walk right up there and be with our Heavenly Father. A very precious very precious and comforting thought we can enter any time and be with our heavenly father he is a good and gracious god quick to forgive very quick to forgive always there for us walks with us all the time so let's enjoy our relationship with our heavenly father let's realize that we have been reconciled you can't have a relationship if there's no reconciliation But we've been reconciled so we can have that relationship, and we do, and let's enjoy that relationship. It's an amazing and beautiful thing. Let's enjoy living not just in the kingdom, not just in the palace, but as a family member, a child of the king. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that we are your children, and some need to hear that, realize it, and fully embrace it. Let them do that now. Show us clearly more and more, Lord, the beauty and awe and wonder of our salvation, of what you've done through your son Jesus. Show us clearly how amazing and awesome you are. You display it in the scriptures, and sometimes we just miss it. Forgive us for that. Continue, Lord, as we sung the last song. Continue, speak to us continue to be gracious to us continue to keep our ears open to hear your truth. pray against all forms of deception father anyone here being deceived in any aspect of their life that you'd open up their eyes you'd take away the blinders i pray for any unbelievers here that they'd see you for who you truly are they'd fall on their knees and repent and trust in you I pray for any believers here, Lord, that are being duped in certain areas of their life. Open their eyes to see clearly. And I pray for any brothers or sisters walking in a manner unworthy of the gospel, walking in sin. Convict them. Convict them, Lord. Break those chains of bondage that they have. The bondage that they've put themselves in. Break those chains and free them because only you can. And be gracious to them even in the midst. You say, even when we are faithless, you are faithful. Thank you, you, Father. Do this all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.